as we come back, and we're focusing on the river in Revelation 22, we've looked back from the beginning of creation where God speaks about the righteous in terms of rivers, waters, um, water of life. In the prophetic scriptures of Ezekiel and Zechariah, and I've only selected two, but I want to, I want to introduce a third as we speak now about the trees by the river, which are for the healing of the nations, trees by the river. We've divided everything into the present time, which has to do with everything from creation until the return of the Lord. The second period will be the return of the Lord and His rule for a thousand years. And the third will be, after the thousand years were ended, what are the intentions of God to conclude the purposes of creation? So three periods, present, the millennium, after the millennium. In the present, we're given many insights into both the millennium and the period coming after that, but the insights are veiled in prophetic scripture. And God does that for a number of reasons. Perhaps the central reason that God veils things is because it's not yet the time. And we know that He veils things from those who are perishing. It is the nature of man to take upon themselves to build towers toward the heavens in the search of understanding of the things of God. When humans do not understand what God is saying and yet they have a word about what God is saying, they'll build it out according to their own way of thinking. Whether, as we said, whether it's the Tower of Babel where they're building out an understanding of the power of the human soul based upon their present circumstances. There had been a flood and they wanted to avoid any future inundation and the catastrophe of it represented by the loss of human life. So not understanding, it seemed good to them to build a tower to the heavens and also to unify man, mankind on the earth so as to by the shared information to be able to both plan for and predict any subsequent threat to this volume of the loss of human life. So there are things in the natural world and things in human history that represent how they sought to understand when God only spoke partially. In this epoch we're in, 
the many things placed within the epoch that hark, that look forward to the millennium. And those things will have a relevance in the millennium that would not be entirely unfamiliar to us who will arrive in the millennium from this epoch. And there will be things in the millennium that will have irrelevance to the epoch after the millennium. And the intent of God there as well is to keep humans attached to these principles of understanding, have have the human culture be attached to that so that when it comes it is not entirely unrecognizable. However, from the one type or epoch to the next, you still need revelation of what is written or what is spoken or what is to be understood in this period as it relates to the period that is to come. At the beginning of this series, I referenced the Lamb. Well, the Lamb was both common and ordinary in the way of life of people before the coming of Christ. But it had no forceful reference to, not in the general general idiom, it had no forceful reference to Christ. Christ was, was a veiled mystery, shrouded in or clothed in the Lamb. But when He did come, uh, it changed everything, but John could say, Behold the Lamb of God. And there'd be some point of reference that would be knowable by people who had kept in touch with the Spirit of God. In the same way, these things we're looking at here in Revelation 22 represent a final outcome that have had an intermediate reference that had a prior uh, reference. So to look at, I want to focus a little bit now on, although there's so much more to say about the river of life, the water being the word, and now the personification of the water, a river, pure river, water of life, clear as crystal, that's as apt a description both of Christ and those who have been added to His body, gone through the millennium, made uh, capable, given the capabilities of Christ, those who have been given the capabilities of Christ to rule and reign, and those who did not have the right to rule and reign being made able to rule and reign. So now it's an apt description of a people. Now, in the millennium, some will be ready to rule and reign because they will have been configured to the rule of rod of iron. Others will be ruled over with the intent of bringing them into perfection, into this perfection. It speaks of a tree in the middle of the street 
and on either side of the river, which bore twelve fruit, each yielding its fruit every month. And before that, it speaks of the period of the millennium where uh, the, the uh, both in Zechariah and in Ezekiel, where the twelve trees are for uh, the healing of the nations. Let's focus for a moment on two things. Trees, fruit for food, and leaves for healing. Now, in this time that we're in, there is a similar reference to the righteous. According to Psalm number 1, verses 1 through 3, the following is said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So a man who walks in the counsel uh, of God is different from a man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, who positions himself in the way of life of sinners and in the manner of his interactions with other humans, he's scornful, he's derisive, he's condescending, nothing like the character of the, of the righteous man. Such a man, the righteous man, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does prospers. So the righteous are analogized to trees, planted by the rivers of water. In this life, the symbol of trees by the river in the millennium and trees after the millennium by the river of life, that analogy is maintained through all three epochs, the present, the millennium, and what comes thereafter. So God is tweaking, upgrading, filling out a more profound understanding of those who are in Christ or even those who in the, in the Old Testament and before Christ walked in as much righteousness as the light of the law and the practice of walking in the law of Moses 
would allow. Before the law of Moses, Job was considered such a man, righteous in all his ways. In fact, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, who's upright in his ways? So historically, among human beings, there's always been this model of the righteous man who was liked to whatever age he was in. Enoch walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, in his, before his fallen state, Solomon uh, evinced the glory of God in a wise ruler. Later, of course, he fell from that. And so on. The Apostle Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And needless to say, the obvious example of such a man uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who contained the river of life within himself. So much so that he could promise to a woman uh, at Jacob's well in Sychar in the juxtaposition of natural and spiritual, he could promise to her water that springs up that leads to this thing we're talking about in Revelation 22, eternal life, beyond just going to heaven when you die, beyond being born again of the Spirit, life by the river of life. In the millennium, the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations in the millennium. And beyond the millennium, it is still described, this tree, as yielding its fruit and the leaves are for the leaf of the tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So what are we looking at? Well, in the millennium, with Christ ruling and Satan in prison, what is the need for the healing of the nations that this tree or these trees provide? I would encourage us to consider that the trees in the millennium are the righteous, the ones who have overcome, the ones who have been configured to the standards of Christ, having learned obedience by what they suffered, having embraced the rule of the rod of iron and been judged to be like Christ, having completely passed from death unto life. And they, you see, will rule and reign with him, and his rule and reign is as with a rod of iron. When he returns, the Lord will rule over the whole earth. His rule will be carried out by his servants, 
those servants who have been previously qualified to represent him, having, as he had, embraced the standard of divine correction and divine rectitude and have lived that way in this life. There's obviously no reason or need for them to go back through being trained again by that standard because that's how they lived. They overcame the enemy during the times that lead to the conclusion of the age. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they did not fail to to submit to him, that they loved not their lives even unto death is the way it is said and that implies that they could not be shaken loose or separated from their place in the body of Christ. In in short, they're the ones who represent the truth of, quote, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more remaining integrated, so much more as you see the day approaching. Such ones are called children of the day and not of the night, who are not overtaken by the darkness and by the deception that shrouds the earth in the days before the return of the Lord. All of these and many more are the indications of persons who have been conformed to the standard of Christ and are ready and available at the time that He comes. Some will have died and the Lord will bring them with Him from heaven, from where He will be revealed with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Those who have died, their bodies will be in the earth, their spirits and souls with the Lord. As the Lord is coming, He'll bring them with Him and their bodies will be raised out of the dust of the earth. Those who in this life did not die but adhered assiduously to these divine standards, they will be changed at the coming of the Lord in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. They will be caught up together with the resurrected righteous to meet the Lord in the air and will return with Him as He establishes the divine order of His rule upon the earth from the headquarters in a renewed Jerusalem. Not the new Jerusalem described in 21, of Revelation, but certainly a renewed Jerusalem where spiritual matters are being transacted within a natural context and the city will accommodate the rule of Christ. It's not anything that man could build for him. He will divinely restore and reestablish his rule but He will perfect His rule throughout the earth 
from there, through these, the righteous, who have been made to be like Him through their sufferings and trials and having overcome, they'll rule and reign with Him. I've wondered about the scope of rule that will be assigned during that time. This is my thought about it, I can't prove it from the scriptures, it's an assumption. I believe that wherever we were established, you know scriptures say that Christ, uh, that, that, that Paul when he spoke of Christ said that God determined the meets and bounds of a person's life, meaning when you would be born, where you would be born, and what would be the measure of your rule. So it would appear to me that those limitations will apply to those who are given rule, were given the right to carry out the rule of Christ during that time. And also, the rank that you have been given will be the basis of your rule. Now, if you're faithful with the little, you'll be given much. Here, it is not about the vast scope of rule that some will have and the diminished scope of rule that others will have. It is how effectively you present Christ in that time that will be the measure of your faithfulness. Parable of servants given talents and what they did with it. It's not a competition, nor is there a hierarchy uh, of importance, although there will be ranks of rule. So, wherever God sent you in this earth, not where you sent yourself. Let's be clear. There's an enormous difference between going and being sent. The older I get, the more I understand that I don't want to go anywhere as some sort of accidental tourist going on a missions trip somewhere, because that's not ruling. Nor am I thinking that merely standing on platforms because you can stand on platforms, that's not the same as God sending you and giving you measures of rule. Lots of things that we can do, whether by expediency, self-promotion or actually being sent by the Lord. The understanding is, what the difference is, when you go, is the grace of God with you? Do people see Christ in you? Is He lifted up? And is the measure of your rule that it establishes in the hearts of people a picture 
both of the nature of Christ and His intent. These would be some guidelines that uh, as I've thought about it, as I've sought the Lord on the matter, so now I go if the Lord sends me. It doesn't matter what the invitation is. I went a lot in my youth and in my younger years. I went a lot just to go because I thought I was doing the will of God. In many instances, He simply had mercy on me. But in many instances, He welcomed me there and taught me things that I couldn't learn otherwise. The righteous are like these trees that grow by the river of life. In that, their roots go down into the unsearchable riches of divine grace because they are by the water of the Word. They become the incarnation of the Word and deployed amongst mankind, whatever their metron or measure of rule is, they bring an alignment to the standard of Christ wherever they go. Now those are truly sent ones who go according to being sent. The rest go to preach and there's a certain fascination with that uh, in that it lifts you out of the routines of home and a local environment and pretends to give a sort of imprimatur of something greater. But the test is, is the character of Christ on display when you go and is the word of the Lord, what God intends to say, what is said? And finally, does it produce the result of the kingdom where you have gone? The righteous are like trees by the river and they're humans. Why, what about them is like unto fruit that may be eaten and leaves that produce healing? What about them is like that? Well, we have to understand the need for food and the need for healing. The need for food is that the spirit man desires the things of God to be upgraded to the understanding of the things of God. It's like food, it's like bread to him, the bread of his presence, the bread of divine presence. Healing is the bringing about of reconciliation between the soul and the spirit so that the soul returns under the rule of the spirit and man understands the mind of God and is governed by the mind of God in lieu of being governed by the dictates of his soul. In the millennium, the representatives of Christ in the domains in which they are required to and allowed to represent Him, the representatives of Christ are the main contributors to the knowledge and the understanding of 
who God is even as much as that impartation occurs when the soul is restored to the rule of the Spirit. Because no wickedness will be permitted in the millennium, beginning with the return of the Lord. No wickedness will be permitted. And ultimately, Satan himself, released from being bound and deceiving the nations, will be destroyed along with those who join his rebellion. So, the millennial kingdom is a place where you could walk around without being assaulted or in, other, in any other way injured. Physical healing will not be necessary because during that time man will not die. Just like in the days following Adam, humans lived nearly a thousand years. The earth will be renewed, so all of the disease elements will be taken out of it. So will accidents and predatory uh, creatures be removed from it. So man will live a long time. So it's not physical healing that is required, it is the restoration of the soul to the rule of the spirit. In the final analysis of this, when trees that produce fruit for both feeding and for the healing of nations, that is in regards to perhaps creation that has not yet been revealed. Meaning, what will God do when He lives in us as a corporate entity, when He lives in us and works exclusively through us? Is that when we become the dispensers of whatever is broken or whatever threatens the permanence of divine peace since the enemy of God and man has been destroyed? What what did God actually intend beyond the saving of mankind? Clearly He didn't just create man to save him. If the world had not been um, tainted by sin, Adam's agreement with the enemy, what would the world have been, what would creation have been like? And does God intend to have some form of creation which He both wroughts and sustains through the people in whom He lives, moves and has His, has his uh, existence at that time? These are questions that are legitimate questions but for which there are not answers provided at this time. But I'm not, none of that concerns me because I understand firmly that everything functions in a progressive way, that whatever God does, 
is revealed over the time that it takes God to reveal it. And sometimes, and in the coming ages, it may not be a matter of time, as in a linear progression. It may be a different level of glory to glory existence. But I do know that the righteous man, righteous person, in the present age is light to the world and contributes to the restoration of the soul under the rule of the Spirit in this age. Father, I do know that these trees are men, are human beings, sons of God, if you prefer, in the millennium who carry out the rule of Christ both over the rebellious sons and those who have never known Christ, to the end of healing and restoring the departure of the soul from the rule of the Spirit and bringing about the completion of reconciliation and obedience to God by those He has received as sons and by setting forth the example of what God intended to those who who never received Christ but for whom perhaps the millennium is that opportunity. And in the coming age, beyond that, in a manner yet to be revealed and yet to be understood, the righteous will still have some relevance to healing of nations, whatever that looks like and whatever that means at that point in time. We'll continue to unpack uh, the rest of Revelation 22 in light of and in context of this third iteration, the first being the present age from creation to now, the second being the millennial age from the return of the Lord to the destruction, the the, the sentencing of of, uh, that takes place from the great white throne and the destruction of Satan and then the introduction of the new Jerusalem where heaven and earth exist in an eternal reality not defined by time and space, from which all evil and the taint of evil has been thoroughly expunged so there is no evil in creation anymore because the only creation that there will remain, there will be and that will remain is this city, the dwelling place of God, also known as the Lamb's wife. The point of this is that this is the harvest of creation and God intends to inhabit it as His own dwelling place. The it here is a people. The form of it is spiritual and boundless like God is and all of it responds instantaneously to the revealed mind of God because it has been reconfigured to the exactitude 
of the mind of God. So much so that as Christ is the head of the body presently, God is the head of his family in that age. We'll unpack it a little bit more extensively in the next series. I'm Sam Solon and I will see you then. Bye now.